we live in a time that is uh, that doesn't put a high value on thinking hard about anything. It's an instantaneous culture in which we live. Let me scroll. Let me get the Twitter soundbite. Sorry, the X soundbite. <laughs> uh, why should Christians care about ideas? Because that's what we're talking about here, whether it's in economics or foreign policy or the host of other subjects we'll be discussing from immigration to education. These are all battles about ideas and ideologies. Why should Christians care about ideas? The short yeah. answer is ideas have consequences. Mm -hmm. yeah. And if you don't understand where your ideas come from, it doesn't mean that you're not beholden to those consequences. And I think trying to educate people on the benefit and the value of understanding kind of the history of ideas and then even the history of your own beliefs will only empower you more. Again, you'll, you'll learn through that process. Um, people who try to deny or ignore kind of the history of where ideas come from, um, I think it's, it's, a, it's a, an, a way in which they're trying to either be disillusioned and, and not have to at times square away within themselves their own logical inconsistencies. And it's, it's just in the moment that they can feel whatever they want to feel and then react instead of it being, you know, more of a cognitive, logical, slower, let me try to figure out what it is that I actually want. Or So I think it's, it's probably just a, a shortcut way of, again, just in, kind of embellishing your own emotions instead of it being more of a logical, harder intellectual exercise. Again, it depends on, on the cost. That's, an, that's right, the economic answer. It's the way an economist would answer it is, well, you indulge in those when it's low cost for you to do so. So... Um, one of an example I can give with that is you may vote differently than how you actually behave in your own private life because it's low cost for you to vote a certain way. For example, spend somebody else's money than the way that you budget and spend your own money. And so that's just a comparison point in the way that we think about our own behavior and where are you investing time, um, probably more in your own private life. And again, how you're going to budget and spend your own money. You probably spend a decent amount of time, for example, when you're about to buy a new car, researching it and figuring out which is the best one for you. Compare that to how much time do you spend actually researching and learning about the political candidates you're about to vote on? Probably a fraction of the amount that you spend on, for example, researching a vehicle. The way that we explain that in economics, people remain rationally ignorant. What does that mean? It is a cost-benefit analysis, and the reality is it's not as costly for them to just vote their emotions. Um, so that's an example in the way that we would kind of explain um, some reaction to that or some dismissal of not really understanding the history of ideas or the, the history of thought or the history of philosophy, the history of science, and trying to really just you know get a deeper understanding of that is for one, it's not as beneficial or they don't think it's as beneficial for them to do so. And it's costly, right? It's time intensive. And so we have competing uses of our time. And so I do think part of what we all value in this room is trying to convince people that it is worth your time to at least invest a little bit, especially in subject matters that you are actively participating in a conversation to spend a little bit more time and not just understanding your own position, but the history of that and then allowing that to, for yourself to, to update and in, inform your own views and, your, and then taking that back to, you know, hopefully to have a fruitful conversation. Yeah, I think that, well, first of all, let me speak to 
Uh, I'm sympathetic. Uh, let's say you're a business leader in the church. You know, I don't have time for this, right? And I'm somewhat sympathetic to that because uh, I don't know, it was a couple months ago or so, we, we started this Bible study when we were in Oxford, and several of the members of the Bible study have stayed in academia or gone on to do other things that, you know, afford them more time to kind of think about this on a day-to-day or even week-to-week basis. And so they were asking me, they were like, you know, what's, what are you reading right now? What are you thinking about with this stuff? And, and I mean, I, I was honest. I said, you know, I've been reading anything. And they said, well, what do you do for intellectual stimulation? <laughs> and I said, well, my publicly traded competitors have lost 97 to 98% of their share value, and two of the private, closest private competitors have gone bankrupt. And I have hefty interest payments that I have to make every day. So I wake up trying, <laughs> you know, I'm plentifully intellectually stimulated uh, by the immediate uh, challenges that I have. So I'm sympathetic to that view. But the challenges that we face are so important that it absolutely requires you, and to Claudia's point, to engage with the ideas because if you don't understand the ideas, they do have consequences. Uh, and it is not just enough to say, well, I've got my business figured out. I've, you know, doing the best I can to insulate my family from some of the craziness. And so I don't need to engage in this nasty, you know, uh, challenging uh, battle of ideas in the public square. Uh, and I just don't think that's the case. Uh, you know, if you look at when things go really wrong for a society, it can always be tied back to a change in ideas mm-hmm. that resulted in a change of worldview, that resulted in a change of policy, that resulted in a change of, you know, policy effects. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's where it comes from. Uh, and so if, you know, to your point, if economics is worried about the means mm-hmm. more than the ends, we have to understand how the means work. Because mm-hmm. if you just right. wipe away the means, then even if you have the right ends, you may not get there. That's right. But on the flip side, if you spend all your time working about the means and never engage with yeah. and fight over what the ends mm-hmm. should be, then you may run a very efficient you know, machine that's uh, working against you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that in many ways, if we look at, um, you know, parts of our society today in the business world, in legal infrastructure, you know, the founding fathers gave us a pretty good machine. But if we allow the wrong ideas to start running that machine, there are fortunately some checks and balances that they built into that machine, but it'll only go so far. And ultimately, even with those checks and balances, we may not be a full democracy, we may be a republic, but it is still a representative form of government. And eventually you will be able to get enough representatives, enough senators, enough states to get the, you know, to get the you know, Supreme Court justices that you want. Like you will eventually, even if the system is designed, as all Presbyterians would love it, <laughs> to be slow and bureaucratic <laughs> and, you know, and really run people through the washing machine to you know, even get the time of uh, you know, Sunday service changed by 15 minutes. You know, even if it's got all of that inertia built into it, eventually the founding fathers did say it's a repo- it's a democratic form of government. You'll be able to change them. You know, God gave us systems, but said ultimately we have free will. You know, He will allow us to go and you know run afoul of things. So if we 
just forego the debate over ideas, because that's what a lot of conservatives do, is they say, I know what I think. Mm-hmm. It's not from a max, you know, from an economics perspective, from maximizing my time, what difference can I make? I can make way more of a difference just focusing on my business, on my family, on my career, and basically seeding, you know, seeding the space of ideas to others. But that's what happens with the universities, right? That's what happens with, mm-hmm. you know, non-for-profit institutions, is that people who are rightly focused on building their businesses, taking care of their families, doing things in their small community, see the ideological debate to those who care only about those issues, mm-hmm. and those tend to be more liberal-leaning folks. Mm-hmm. And then you have a small number of people who start to frame the debate, and that's the real challenge, not just the ideas, yeah. but when the perpetuation of those ideas start to change the framework and the assumptions through which debate occurs. Uh, great answers, y'all. Time for uh, one more question here, and again, we'll be doing this in midweek. We're going to cover a range of topics from uh, the Bible and money, the Bible and work, uh, the Bible and law, and education and immigration. So we're going to touch on, as Claudia said, a lot of these uh, non-controversial issues in our society (laughs) today. But one final question for each of you. What's one thing you hope folks will take away uh, if they come to this midweek series starting in January? That capitalism is not evil. It is actually what is giving us the things that we value. Most people don't understand what capitalism is. It is a system of private property rights. Socialism is a system where government owns the means of production. And I I mentioned earlier who owns or controls economic means will ultimately get control over what we value and what the ends are. So that is a fundamental, to me, important Uh, understanding of what it means for understanding the history of the United States or in the West in general is that a system of capitalism and profit is a reflection of what people value. And by us pursuing our own self-interest, it is creating the wealth that we see around us. And that actually aligns with a biblical view. That is one of the things that I am going to hopefully explain, and that people walk away with a different understanding of what capitalism is, what it isn't, and that that does align with a structure, kind of organizational system that God's okay with. That is not, you know, anti-biblical. Oftentimes, I find, and this maybe is going to immediately offend people, and I apologize in advance, but I find that Christians think the only way that they can help other people is by donating to a nonprofit or charity or, oh, you know, they're the kind of that heartfelt reaction of I really want to help somebody. And that's fine. But why not start a business? Why is, why is our Christian reaction of giving away somebody else's money or your own money and that's, a, that's such an odd position for me. Again, I'm an economist, so you got to cut me some slack here, right? So like, why is that the gut reaction? And it's like, why to understand to what it means to start and own and keep an operation as a successful business means you are serving other people. That is a beautiful thing. That is, a, that is the understanding that I really hope that Christians that are coming to midweek walk away with is the capitalistic system 
is one in which you only survive if you are serving somebody else's needs. Mm. They won't give you money otherwise. And hopefully I can unpack that again and mm -hmm. convince people a little bit more. But that I think is a beautiful thing. And that is just very much underappreciated. And going back to our prior question, that if we don't understand that, we're going to undermine the wealth creating institutions that we've been able to generate and sustain. And without understanding where it comes from, we're setting ourselves up and our children and our grandchildren up for failure. And that to me is you know, a scarier position to be in. And so again, just hoping to lay out and explain that a system of private property rights is one in which we as Christians will be able to survive and thrive the most. Women, that is how women have been able to you know, rise up through the ranks and um, be treated as an equal. That is, that is shown in a large body of economic research. That is not mm -hmm. you know, just me and Joe sitting here claiming that. <laughs> Um, and so hopefully through these conversations, that is what people will walk away with from, from, you know, one of my main, main goals for being able mm -hmm. to participate in midweek. That's great. And one thing before you answer Joe is just hearing, as we've had this discussion here, I I've noticed this undercurrent with everything y'all are expressing of care for others through the ideas you're expressing. Joe, you mentioned the persecuted church. You mentioned how we can serve those who don't have the same level mm -hmm. of wealth we have and ways to do that. That's a Christian impulse. That's not going to be there without the biblical worldview because Jesus said we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we love our neighbor. Mm -hmm. And these knowing these ideas helps us to put in place institutions, ideally, that help us accomplish that uh, those two great commands from Jesus. Joe? So I think the main thing that I would say, I hope people walk with, is that, you know, you often hear about the concept of the separation of church and state, which is extremely mm -hmm. important. But what that meant was the state is not going to tell the church what to do. So the state should not mm -hmm. show up to First Pres and say, you have to, Gabe, you have to preach this or you cannot preach this from the pulpit, right? So that was the intention. It was not designed to say that people of faith mm -hmm. could not engage mm -hmm. in the public square mm -hmm. And certainly not that their engagement with the public square could not be informed by their beliefs, right? So if you are first and foremost a Christian, it is only natural that the way in which you look at political issues, whether they be economic, whether they be foreign policy, domestic policy, any of the topics we're going to discuss about, should be informed by your faith. Where does that information from a faith context come from? It comes from where everything else comes from, the Bible. So the Bible was God's message to us about how to relate, about how to relate to him, about how to relate to one another. And it has a ton to say, uh, even if not on specific policies, it has a ton to say about how we as Christians should think about some of the kind of most challenging issues that confront society today. And we shouldn't be afraid of having a biblical view and of using that biblical view to advocate for policies that reflect that belief system. Um, and so that's what I think I would say is kind of the core for me, is understanding that you do have a viewpoint. Your viewpoint should be grounded in what God's instructions were to us through the Bible, and that you shouldn't just 
hide, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what a lot of Christians like to do is, well, I'm just, you know, I'm not of this world. It's not my battle. And so I think what I would just say is that, you know, I love, uh, in terms of people who quote, you know, Teddy Roosevelt uh, is great. And so the man in the arena, you know, to me really speaks, and what I hope people embody is God, ta- God gave us his word to teach us how to handle challenges with him, with one another, through society. And we had founding fathers who had the foresight to give us a system of government that ensured that the state would not come and tell us what to do in the church, but that expected and hoped that we as people of faith would bring that worldview to help inform how we discuss in the public. And so, you know, I'll just leave it in the man. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasm, the great devotions who, uh, devotions who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place, place shall never uh, be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. That is what I hope that people walk away with, is that God has given you a way to think about the world. He's given you the tools and the means and the spiritual gifts to go out and help advocate for that view. And it's not just an opportunity, but a duty as a Christian to then stand up and defend that biblical rooted worldview in the public square. First Takes is produced by First Presbyterian Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Our theme music was written and recorded by Wes Breedlove. Our sound engineer is me, Dylan Thomas. Our host is Dr. Gabriel Fleur. S.K. Van Pufflin is our executive producer. And for more information about First Presbyterian or our ministries here, visit our website at 1stpresbyterian.com.